scripture text comes to us from Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. By this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Then Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Once again, O oh God, we ask for the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who inspired the writing of Scripture, to now so inspire our hearing of it that we would find ourselves on these waters with Jesus. In the name of Christ, amen. It's striking that Matthew begins this passage by saying that Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and sail to the other side of the sea. Why would he have to make them sail to the other side of the sea? Perhaps it's because the Hebrews weren't exactly water people. Their literature makes it clear that they think of the sea as a place of, of chaos. The, in the sea, the winds can come against you. The, the waters can envelop you, the Leviathan can consume you. And sure enough, just as they probably feared, in the middle of the night, it's exactly what happened. A storm, a strong wind blows against them. And they're lost, stuck in the chaos. We don't like chaos either. That's one of the reasons why people come to church. It's certainly why they become Presbyterians. <laughs> we have a book of order. Keep chaos at bay. I preached a sermon once that went a little too long into the malaise of being stuck between how it is and how it ought to be. And at the end, a woman came up to me and said, Craig, the rules. I just want to know the rules. I'm good at following rules. Because we think if we follow the rules, we'll be all right. Our whole society is actually built on this assumption. I mean, this is, 
This is why we have a constitution. It's why we have government. It's why we have laws. It's why we have contracts and commitments and covenants. There are rules that we hope keep chaos at bay and allow us to pursue happiness and, and justice. There can be no justice if everything is chaotic. We think if we work hard, we'll be okay. We'll abide by the rules. It's even in our theology. The very opening pages of the Bible, the very opening verses, say that God is one who moved over the face of the deep, shoving aside darkness and chaos, creating light and beauty in its place. And then and, and there was light here and, and, and darkness here, and it created the order of a day. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, it was to keep us from returning society and our own lives back into chaos. And when that's exactly what we did, God comes to us in Jesus Christ. And so in this text, we have this beautiful image of Jesus moving across the waters towards the disciples. They're initially afraid, thinking it's a ghost, but Jesus says, be not afraid, it is I. You see the wonderful creation theology here. Just as God in creation moved over the face of the deep, now we have the incarnation of God again, moving over the chaotic waters towards the disciples, coming as Savior. Peter says, if, if it is, if it's you, command me to come to you. Just as you made us sail out into the chaos, command me to come to you. Jesus says, come. This is wonderful kind of missional theology here. Peter has to go out into the chaos to where Jesus is. Notice this time, this time, Jesus is not in the boat. Jesus is out there and all the things that make us afraid. And he invites the disciple to leave the boat, get out of the boat, and come out into the chaos where we find Jesus. It may be that one of the reasons why you came to seminary was because you were concerned about the chaos. And you wanted a call. You wanted Jesus to tell you it's time to come. Come to me. Come, come out and get involved in something that will make a difference. Come and deal something about the, the chaos of people who live as victims of the injustice, those who are engaged in struggling to get by day after day, or the chaos of those who've done pretty well by the rules for success, but they've hollowed out their soul along the way. Come and do something about this. And so you, you got out of the boat. You applied to seminary. You left behind the safe life you knew. And you thought you were just coming to Jesus. You took a risk. We don't know how far Peter made it, but we do know that he took his eyes off of Jesus and he focused on the strong wind of adversity. And that's when he started to sink. I don't know how long it took you on your seminary sojourn to realize this, but there are still strong winds of adversity here. 
Maybe for you, the, it's the rigor of the academic program. Or maybe the winds of adversity for you are that you are a part of a residential community because we really sold that to you to come here. And now you find out that somebody here can hurt you. That they may not understand you or be like you. Or maybe it's just studying theology itself is an adverse, difficult task. It's not safe by any means to study theology. And some of the cherished convictions you brought to seminary have already been blown away from you. But I do know that as if you continue to stare at the winds, you will sink. So Peter cries out, Jesus, save me. That's all it really takes. I do know that if you cry out, Jesus, save me, he will. I don't know that it will always be immediately like this. So he pulls them up out of the water. And then he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Not why did you doubt your ability to walk on water, because actually Peter can't walk on water. But why did you doubt my ability? That's what happens when we take our eyes off of Jesus. We have little faith of our own. If you're going to try to get by here with a little faith, you're not going to make it. It's going to take great faith. That's what we have here. We have, we have a library with thousands of years of great faith on the shelves. Great faith. Your professors lecture in this building over here about a great faith. And in this room, we proclaim great faith. Think about how many people have sat right where you are and have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed long before you showed up. Think about the commitments that they made right in that pew that changed their lives. That's all your inheritance. And if the storms begun to buffet you about and you, in all honesty, think you really only have a little faith to get by here, lean on ours. At least believe that we believe. You can, you can use our great faith. And when you get out of here and begin your ministry or your work, the people around you are going to at least to believe that you believe. Let that be the church's testimony, if nothing else, to the world. Let us ensure that the world at least believes that we believe. That we believe in this Savior who is moving over the chaos and who will one day calm the seas. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.